Thank you so much for your gracious invitation. It is so nice to be back with you in New Beginnings. You're almost Baptist as I look at you because you're all seated in the back row, <laughs> just as near as the back as you can get, but not to worry about that. I want to share with you some stuff that's been uh, going around in my heart uh, today, and I hope that you'll be encouraged as I've been in encouraged. Uh, sometimes it seems as though the church is very much on the back foot. We live in a society which often denigrates any public expression of faith. It seems to me that faith is acceptable if it is seldom seen and rarely heard. Now, Isaiah speaks very clearly to the situation that pertained in his day, and it's a situation that is alive and kicking in our day. Look at what he says in chapter 59, verses 14, 15, for truth has stumbled in the streets and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and one who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. I pray. Truth has stumbled in the street. I think that's a really powerful expression. And, and doesn't, it, doesn't it eloquently describe the situation that we find ourselves in our country today? Truth has stumbled in the streets, and as a result, truth is lacking. But it gets worse than that. It says, and one who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. What does that mean? Well, it means that if you choose to honor God and to follow God, you actually become a prey. You become a bullseye on the dartboard. Now, I don't know about you, but I read in the paper last week of yet another instance of a lady whose job is being threatened in the NHS because she wears a cross on a chain. And uh, one of the girls who used to be uh, one of our young people in, in the church I served contacted us a little while ago and says she's supposed to wear a, a little rainbow symbol to say that she is approachable for somebody who has gender confusion or a different view of gender. And she says, but all of us in the NHS are supposed to be approachable for anybody. We ought to be safe people. Now, I have to say that sometimes the church feels a little bit like a wagon train in the old Western films. In our own eyes, we resemble nothing more than a circle of covered wagons. We're totally surrounded by hordes of screaming hostiles, hopelessly outnumbered, with dwindling ammunition and little chance of being rescued unless the, whole, the heavenly cavalry turns up before we're wiped out. Church feels a little bit like that. We're hunkering down in the bunker. Well, of course, that's a very inaccurate picture and far from reality. And the account that we're going to look at this morning is included in the scriptures in order to give us some encouragement to lay things before us that will help us. And let's face it, if you're living for Jesus, the enemy will see you as a threat. 
And it's possible for us to be targeted in one way or another, but we shouldn't be frightened by that because Jesus said in the world, you will have trouble. Now somebody has counted up the, uh, the occurrences of the divine and direct instructions in the Bible not to be afraid. Don't be afraid, fear not. And apparently there are 366 occasions where it says, don't be afraid or fear not. And that's one for every day of the year, not forgetting the additional one for leap year. Don't be afraid. And that's what the Lord will say to us. Well, I want, to, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Kings chapter 6. And we're going to read a really interesting story here. I know it's the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament because some of its truths are just so relevant for us today. And this is one of those instances. We're going to read from verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 6, down to the end of verse 23. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open their eyes, the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked around and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. 
So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Isn't that an interesting story? What on earth has God got to say to us today from that account? Well, let's have a little prayer, just for a moment. Father, we're really grateful that we have your word. And we want to pray that we might be privileged to hear your voice speaking to us, opening our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see the relevance of your truth for our lives today. And oh God, grant that you'd help us so that we really might grab hold of the truth. May it be a blessing to us and an encouragement every single day. We ask these things, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we know enough to know that it's always wise to look at the context, to work out what's going on, to stand back a little bit, and to get a glimpse of the big picture, because that can then help us to zero in on what the text is telling us. So we ask the question, what's going on? Well, we have learned that the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. This Aramean king was on the warpath. His hobby was to beat up the Israelites, and he did it on a regular basis. Frequent border raids were mounted against northern Israel. So it must have been very difficult for the Israelites because they never knew when the enemy was going to appear over the horizon to, to beat them up and to steal from Life was difficult. They were uh, finding it hard to go about their everyday business because these uh, raids, pillaging and looting, well, the raids increased as the king of Aram moved about freely and he set up his camp wherever he wanted to. But you know, God was not indifferent to the needs and suffering of his people. So as we read the account, we discover that there was an uncanny protection, an uncanny protection. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God time and time again. Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. The king of Aram would very carefully plan his strategy. He would work out where he was going to go and where he was going to camp. But Israel always seemed to be one step ahead. They were wise to what he was doing. You see, Elisha, the prophet, was given supernatural intelligence, information concerning the enemy's plans, positions, and dispositions. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Because, of course, God sees men, he sees their movements, and he even reads their minds. It's futile for a man or even the enemy to imagine that God can be outmaneuvered. Because God knows everything. He knows all things. So the king of Aram began to get suspicious and exceedingly angry. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? 
he was convinced that there was a traitor in his camp passing on information about his activities. Well, what's really interesting is that one of the king of Aram's men knew the answer to the question. And he said, none of us, my lord, the king said one of the officers, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, what an extraordinary thing that was. I don't know how this man got to hear about Elisha, the prophet of God, but however he got to hear about it, he knew that God was at work through this man, passing on information. And I think we can imagine the king's frustration. How upset he would have been that he had all this power but he couldn't use it he was frustrated i came across a, an interesting story about uh, the, uh, the the trains in the america in the american uh, west in the 19th century i don't know if you've ever been to america but the planes go on and on and on and on and on i once drove for six hours and i just barely started to cross the planes it just was amazing well they had railway tracks that went along but every so often they would have a plague of lo locusts and sometimes the locusts would swarm and they would land and the, the big trains would come along and the wheels would as they were going around they would crush millions of these locusts but because of the kind of the oily substance that was released when the locusts were crushed the wheels of the train would just go round and round and round, but there was no traction. The trains couldn't go forward. They were, the wheels were going round, but there was absolutely no progress. It was a little bit like that for the king of Aram. He, he had all of this power, but he had no traction. He couldn't use the power. Well, we asked ourselves, well, that, that, was, that was then. What about today? Does that kind of thing happen today, that uncanny protection? Well, Christians in China, in the 70s used to very often worship in-house churches as they still do and their meeting places were constantly being changed because they were often uh, trying to avoid crackdowns and being arrested and locked up and that still happens today well on one occasion there was a group of folks and they were meeting and they were quite secretive because leaders of churches being were being arrested and sent to labor camps and they had on this occasion about five visitors that they didn't know in the church uh, but there was a an unusual sense of the presence of god and the love of christ in that meeting and at the end of the meeting the five visitors stood up and announced that they had come uh, under the authority of, of the secret police to arrest the christians but having heard the message, they wanted to discover more about Jesus. So that's what God does these days. But we have to say that God doesn't always choose to intervene. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples in um, Mark 13? He says, all men will hate you because of me. Uh, and that's still true today. All men will hate you because of me and all over the world there are Christians who are enduring persecution and it may even be that as we are talking this morning that there are some of our spiritual family members who have been murdered even as we 
talk this morning. The point is this, no one can touch or harm God's people without God's permission. No one. And there are times in the Bible when we find God's people praising him for what he has not allowed to happen. Look at Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, and then in verse 6, praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. Now, Elisha, because he was God's man, became the bullseye on Ben-Hadad's dartboard. The king could not understand how Elisha knew what his plans were. The, the operation of the Holy Spirit was a mystery to him. Do you know, from time to time, after a sermon, somebody would come and say, how did you know? I remember preaching at a mission in England many, many years ago, and I used two illustrations. One was of a, a, a person who had a little red mark on their side, and they went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I'm terribly sorry, but that's a, a melanoma. It's a cancerous thing, and it's not looking good. What do you do when that happens? Where do you go for help? And then I used another illustration about uh, what would you do if you walked into your home and there was a note on the kitchen table and your wife had left a message to say, I've had it, I've gone, don't come after me, goodbye. I said, what would you do? Where would you go for comfort? And after that tent meeting, a lady came to me and she said, I have a little red mark on my side and I've got an appointment with the doctor this week. Now, she was a Christian. And I thought that's really interesting because the illustration I used. And then in the week following, somebody banged on the door of the manse and said, uh, can I come and talk to you? And I said, sure. So he came into the kitchen, sat down and he said, you talked about what would happen if I walked into or if we walked into our home and found a note on the table say our wife had gone, that, that happened to me. And then he asked, where do you go for comfort? I want to know. And he came to meet Jesus in our kitchen. You see, that's the kind of thing that God does. Second Kings verse 13. Go and find out the king ordered where, where Elisha is so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. So you have uncanny protection, but then you have unseen protection. You see, Ben-Hadad, the king, acted very quickly. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. I find it very interesting that it says that he sent a strong force. Why did he send a strong force? Did he think that Elisha might know this plan as well? Did he think that Elisha then might make some preparations? We don't really know. But what happened next is absolutely fascinating. Now, it reminds us that we can act like Elisha or we can choose to respond like Elisha's servant. Now, I don't suppose Elisha's servant got up that morning expecting a shock any more than you and I wake up on any particular morning and anticipate a shock. I don't suppose 
he had a good morning. Look at verse 15. It says, when the servant of the man of God up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Well, what we're not told is what tone of voice he used. But just imagine getting up in the morning, going outside, oh, stretching, wondering, oh, what does the day hold? Looking around, me, oh, 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 goodness me. And then looking and see all around the enemy surrounded. He was absolutely surrounded. Oh, I imagine his heart sank very quickly. Now, there are lots of things that make us afraid. We can spend our lives running from something that might never happen, that God might never allow to impact our lives. Cancer, a car crash, poverty, unemployment. We can worry about these things, things that might never happen to us. Fear is meditating on the enemy's lies while faith is meditating on the promises and power of God. And so often, the strength of our fear reveals the feebleness of our faith. Let's say that again. The strength of our fear so often reveals the feebleness of our faith. Well, Elisha saw the fear, the terror in the heart and face of his servant, and he goes on to state a tremendous truth. He said, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What a statement. What a truth that was. You see, fear opens the door to the very things we're afraid of. Elisha prays, oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The chariots of fire signified God's presence, and the servant's eyes were opened to see the spiritual realm around about him. And that realm was inhabited by God's invisible agents, agents that we don't normally see. But you know, the Bible speaks to us about angels. Look at verse 11 of Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And they also minister to those of us who follow God. Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? The apostle Paul twice when imprisoned, was miraculously set free from his prison cell by angelic intervention. The experience of Jesus in Gethsemane teaches us that this unseen protection is present, even if it's not activated. You remember what happened when that crowd came to arrest Jesus? in the garden, and Peter took out his sword, and he took a swing at the high priest's sermon, the servant. I think he was going to try to chop his head off, but he only managed to slice off an ear. Jesus, of course, immediately healed that ear. He put the ear back on again. And what did Jesus say? Do you remember? 
He said, do you think I cannot call on my father and that he was at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How many angels? Well, how many men in a legion, a Roman legion? There were a thousand men in a Roman legion. And if he's talking about 12 legions of angels, by my mathematical calculations, that's 72,000 angels. So Jesus said, I have, I can call on 72,000 angels. Roundabout. Well, we, we think, well, that's, that was then. Well, what about today? What about today? Well, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of going to preach in um, a family camp in New Hampshire in America. And one of the staff members told me that he'd been a missionary uh, working at a quite a famous missionary school in Kenya. And uh, we chatted a little bit about that. And in 1956 in Kenya, there was a, a group called the Mau Mau, and they wanted independence for Kenya. And they, uh, they, they began to uh, pillage and, and murder. Uh, it, it was their campaign to, to, to get the white people out of, out of Kenya. And uh, in 56, a group of these roving Mau Mau's came to a village called Lori. And uh, they killed everybody in the village. There were about 300 men, women, and children. And about three miles away from that village was the school called the Rift Valley Academy. It was a private school which catered really for the children of missionaries in that part of Africa. And immediately on leaving the carnage of Lori, the natives came with spears and arrows and clubs and torches to the school with violent intentions. And in the darkness, people could see that the lighted torches approaching the school. And soon the, the, the terrorists were kind of a complete circle, a ring around the school, and shouts and curses were heard coming from the mamas. And they began to advance on the school tightening, reducing the circle, shouting louder and louder and coming closer. And then inexplicably, when they were close enough to throw, the, throw their spears, they stopped and they began to retreat. And then for some unknown reason, they turned and ran away. Well, the army was called out and the army captured the entire band of raiders. And later at their trial, the leader was called to the witness stand and the judge questioned him. And he said, on that particular night, did you kill the inhabitants of the village, Larry? Uh, and he said, yes. And then he said, well, why didn't you complete your mission? Why didn't you attack the school? And the leader of the Mamos said, we were on our way to attack and destroy all the people at the school. But as we came closer, all of a sudden, between us and the school, there were many huge men dressed in white with flaming swords, and we became afraid ran away to hide. Angelic intervention. I had a young girl with us in Finley and she'd gone out to become uh, a missionary in Pakistan helping in a school. And you may remember the school because it was attacked by ISIS terrorists and some of the folks were killed. Well, they had in place uh, protocols uh, what to do in the event of an attack. And this girl 
Uh, and I remember telling the story in the church and she was sitting in the church and tears were steaming down her face as she remembered it. She was in a class because break had just was just over and she was in a class with the tiny little tots, little small ones. And they were in a room uh, which was off a corridor and uh, there were various classrooms on the corridor. But interestingly enough, the doors led onto the corridor, but there were also interconnecting doors between the classrooms. And the next thing she heard shouts and shots and oh, there must be an attack. So she got the little children and they all crouched down under a table and she put her armor and began to pray. And the shots came closer and the terrorists entered the, the building and they came down the corridor and one of the, 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 the terrorists came to the door into her classroom. And, and I can't remember precisely the details, but they grabbed the door handle and they were pulling when they should have pushed or they pushed when they should have been pulling. And she was under the table with her arms around the little children praying, Lord, protect. And you know, the terrorists couldn't get in. They didn't even think to go to the classroom next door and go through the interconnecting door. God had somehow blinded them and they couldn't get in. Angelic intervention? Does it happen today? I think so. I think so. But what if in our circumstances, God doesn't open our eyes to see the horses and chariots of fire. Well, if verse 17 is denied to us, we still have the fact of verse 16, because the prophet said to them, as he says to us today, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And we need these unseen angels as we walk through the heartbreak of broken relationships, of health challenges, and of hearts. What happened next? Just imagine the scene. Look at verse 18. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed, Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. It wasn't, it wasn't a blindness so that they couldn't see. It was some kind of visual confusion. Prayer can be such a powerful tool. Verse 19, Elisha told them, in all innocence, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them into Samaria. Elisha took them on a 10-mile trip into Samaria. They didn't recognize Elisha. They didn't recognize the road. But Elisha led them into Samaria, which is the equivalent of Catterick Camp. Have you ever been to Yorkshire and seen the Catterick Army Camp? It's, I think, the biggest army camp in the UK. I've, I've been there. But Elisha led them into Samaria into the, 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 the center of military activity, the power where they would be in absolute danger. Verse 20, after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they, they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were inside Samaria. That was Elisha's third prayer. Now imagine the surprise they got when they realized where they were. I'm sure they couldn't work it out. How, how, how on earth did we get here? How did we get here? 
They, they couldn't explain it. They couldn't work it out. And I can't help thinking that Elisha must have had a little bit of a chuckle. But there they were, surrounded by their enemies in great numbers, who, who had it in for them because of the fact that they've been beating up the Israelites on a regular basis. Well, then we see an unexpected protection. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them? My father, shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set up food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. King Joram wanted to butcher the elite troops of Aram's army. What an opportunity, he reasoned. He thought of a bloodbath. He certainly didn't think of a banquet. Verse 23a says, so he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. I wonder, did they bring out the best vintage wines? Did they slaughter the prized cattle? The enemy soldiers weren't harmed in any way. They were treated with unexpected kindness and then sent home. And what was the consequence of that? So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Remember Paul's words in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the whole account is an account of grace and hope. What was this kindness meant to display to the Syrians? Well, they'd fallen into the hands of God's prophet and God had spared them. It's not often like that, is it? You know, I came across an interesting story. I don't know if you're interested in the Second World War, but there was a famous operation called Market Garden in Holland where they were, paratroopers were dropped to capture the bridge in Arnhem. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't manage to capture the bridge and it was difficult, but there was a lieutenant who was a glider pilot called Michael Long. And he was leading a fighting patrol through some heavy undergrowth. And all of a sudden, he came face to face with a German. So Michael Long had a revolver, and he fired a shot, and he just clipped the ear of the German. But the German had a submachine gun and shot him in the thigh. So Michael Long collapsed to the ground, and the German sat on top of him, and he sprayed all around with his machine gun to ensure that uh, he would drive any of his enemies away. And while he was sitting Michael, on Michael Long, uh, Michael Long, the, the, the bullets, the sh empty shell cases were, were being ejected from his submachine gun and they were landing on him and they were hot, so they were burning him. So uh, an infuriated Long nudged the German and pointed the, sh the shell cases and said in his schoolboy German, sehr hot, sehr warm meaning very hot or very warm. And the German obligingly replied, oh yeah, and he shifted his position so that the, the, the shell cases no longer landed on Michael Long. And after the German had ceased firing, he searched his captive and he came across Michael Long's first aid kit. He was about to throw it away when uh, Long said, no, no, no. And he pointed to his thigh and he pointed to the German's ear that was bleeding. So they began to, bandaged each other up, looked after, looked after each other. Uh, an unusual situation, an unusual situation. 
and of course he went into captivity. But that wasn't the sort of care one expects to see between enemies. But what an impact the Israelites' care of the Aram soldiers had. God's protected, protection extended to them. And this siege at Dothan stands in scripture as a vivid reminder that our safety and security lies in the Lord and not in the power of man. Now, sometimes we will face circumstances and we will be so distressed by them that we will want to turn and run. We will want to do that. But the Lord is in control. And when the church floods and we think, God, why has that happened? God has a reason. And while we might not understand what the reason is, what we know about God's character leads us to believe that he doesn't make any mistakes. So he's got a purpose. Maybe there's going to be a builder come in to fix the carpet next door on the floor. And he might be impacted by seeing the text on the wall. We put a new cafe in Finley when I was there. And I can remember we needed to pay for it. We spent a lot of money on refurbing the frontage and we'd no more money to uh, get out the cafe. So we said, well, we'll ask the church, can you dig deep and help? And we said we were going to do that. So on that Sunday morning, we had a Thanksgiving offering. And then we said, look, after the service, we want you all to go into the, what will be the cafe because tomorrow the builders are coming in and they're going to lay down a new floor. And we thought it'd be a great idea if we all went in and we wrote on the floor, the names of the people that were praying for that they might come to know and love Jesus. So I could take you to the place and I could point you to the spot where I wrote names on the floor. We had about 600 names written on the floor and we took photographs. Well, the next day the builder came in and he looked at me and he said, what, what's all this on the floor? All, all these, these names. And it was explained to him that these were the names of the people that we were praying for, that they might come to know that Jesus is real and come to love him and come to experience the reality of his presence in their lives. And do you know what the builder said? He said, can I write my name on the floor? And he didn't. So you just don't know what purpose God has in allowing things to happen. We do know Psalm 139 tells us that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So you don't have to be afraid of COVID. You don't have to be afraid of cancer. God is in control. And Jesus said in Revelation 1 verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Those keys do not swing from Satan's belt. The Lord has those keys. Do you know something? You and I are absolutely immortal until our work is done. Our enemy is always outnumbered. Why? Because one with God is a majority. Isn't that the truth? One with God is a majority. So don't worry, God is in control. 
And someone has said that, you know, you and I, we ought to be like those old kettles. You know, those old whistling kettles. Whenever we get into hot water and the temperature rises, we ought to whistle. We ought to praise because it's time to sing. The singing kettle. Sing praise to God because God knows what he's about. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what trouble you may have. But I know this, that round about us, unseen, are the angels of God. Those who are for us are more numerous and greater than those who are against us. I remember, with this is finish, I was one time, I used to drive a sports car when I became a Christian, and I was involved in a, a little a boys club for young hooligans. And because my sports car was small, I couldn't fit, or I only squashed two of them in beside me in, in the passenger seat. And I was taking them up to the club one day, and, and I went into the back of a car in front of me. And I began to think, Lord, why did that happen? And I didn't have any answers, but I just wondered, was God allowing that to happen in order to preserve me from a crash down the road? I don't know, but I know this, that my God is on the throne and he's in control and the enemy can't do any, anything to us without his permission. So what's our response to this? Well, I think our response is just to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are who you are. Please have your way in my life that I might serve you and always be pleasing to you. Can we pray together? Oh, Lord God, thank you that you record beautiful stories in the scriptures, things that happened so many years ago, and yet things which fill our hearts with confidence today, that you know what you're about. And Lord, it may very well be that there's one person, either here or at home, who's frightened because of some circumstance. We pray, Father, that as you brought comfort to that servant by opening his eyes and allowing him to see, would you garrison our hearts? And even if we don't see, may we have confidence that those who are for us are more numerous and more powerful than those who are against us. We ask it, Father, as we commit one another into your care. Precious name of Jesus.